it was brought to my attention, I don't know, in the past week or two or three, whenever it was, that, um, you know, education in this country has been lacking a lot, but we had this program that no child will be left behind, and I think they're finding out that there are many children that are behind. We're way behind most of the world, and uh, it's a lack of education. And I think, as I was told, that the some of the education educated people are looking at and saying, uh, we've got to make some corrections here, because we find out that children uh, don't know English. They don't know history. I talked to one young person who didn't even know what an ocean was. So, I mean, that's really a lack of education, uh, not to know where you are, who you are, when many other countries, they know exactly uh, more on education than we even begin to know. So there is a big deficit in education, and we are dumbing down this country. It's sad. But that's what's happened. And I think it happened in the church, if you really want to look at it. I remember when I came into the church, one of the biggest things that impressed my wife and I was we had a Bible correspondence course that was really phenomenal. And when you went through that course, you learned the basics of God's way of life. Today, it just seems that through the 80s, probably started in the 70s and 80s and 90s, the church became dumbed down. And we lost the true identity and knowledge that God wanted us to have. And so the church and now the nation is following the same key. Go to Jeremiah 32. Start right there. I know I don't open my Bible, but I do have it right here. See, as I get older, I think of what Mr. Armstrong used to do. He had a three-by-five card when he'd get out there. I remember back in the 60s and 70s, he had this little three-by-five card, and he had a bunch of notes on it. When he got into the 80s, he had uh, several three-by-five cards, and it finally got down, he'd have a bunch of them. He'd have one word. Uh, as I get older... It's more difficult to read smaller print, <laughs> unless I had a big magnifying glass. So I print out the scriptures. So I do have them, and I, I do that so it's easier to read. So Jeremiah 32, verse 37, starts out by, Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whether I have driven them in my anger. So God broke up the church. He broke up the nation of Israel, and he's broke up the church today. And he drove the church every place. We are not, and, and we know we can go back and read in the Minor Prophets, I think it's Amos, it says uh, there's going to be a famine of the Word. Started out a small famine, and it's going to be a great famine, and people are going to grow from east to west looking for the knowledge of God. So God drove it out in his anger and in my fury and in great wrath. And I will bring them again into a, this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. So God is going to recall the church. He's going to bring us back to one place. And he is going to set up a leader, a leadership. He's always had government in the church. He's going to do that again. But today, it's every place. And if you don't like one thing, you can go any place in this nation because there's hundreds of different groups. And so if you want to know something, it doesn't please you. You go wherever you can to get taught. And they shall be my people and I will be their God, God says. I will bring you back together and you are going to be my people and we will, I will be your God. And I will give them one heart. Isn't that fantastic to think about that? We're going to have the same heart. We're going to love each other. We're not going to have all these different opinions. I'm going to have one heart. And one way. That they may fear me forever. 
it's going to be a time when there's going to be one way of life. And it's going to be forever. For the good of them and for their children. So, I look forward to that time. I long for the time that we have a one world system underneath God. Today, the God of this world, who is Satan, who has led people astray. And there's confusion. But we're going to have a one way of life. And I will make them an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their heart that they shall not depart from me. We're going to stay with Christ. We're going to stay with the Father. And it's going to take a lot of effort in between. It's going to be a terrible situation. But as long as we are disobedient, and it's happened in the church. I mean, it's heartbreaking when the church broke up. And friends who you thought were your brothers and sisters and close to walked away and wouldn't talk to you and tried to take advantage of you. So it's a sad situation, but be cheered up. It's going to get better. I remember Mr. Armstrong saying many times, you know, we see what's coming down, but we understand we will win because Christ will be in charge. Zechariah 3, verse 9. Zechariah 3, 9. For then will I turn to the people a pure language. Today we don't have a pure language. I don't care what people say they want to use this or they have... Uh, some language that they're using. It's not a pure language. They're all corrupt in one way or another. And we know that happened back at Babel, Babel, at the Tower of Babel, when God confused the language. Because He knew if He kept one language, there was no stopping what people could do. But we live on this planet. We have to face the fact. This planet, and I can remember when I worked at NASA when one of the astronauts, after they had made a circle around the moon and was heading back, said he looked through the blackness of space and the stars and everything, and he said that one jewel was home. We're confined to this planet, you know. We can send a spacecraft of some kind to Mars and Venus and Jupiter and, you know, and on. But to get a person there and back is still outside the reach of mankind. And to get to the closest star, which we say, oh, there's got to be uh, some other being someplace out there. The closest star is totally out of reach in our technology today. It is one light year away. That's 378,000 miles a second away for a year. So we can't even get over, I think, 36,000 miles an hour. It's impossible. But God is going to bring a language back to this place where he's made. This is a training ground. We have many languages. I work with some Latins and I just can't understand them. They, They talk so fast... I can pick up a word here and there, but I don't understand what they say. But I long for the time that we can all, wherever we live, have the same language. And God is going to do that. That they may all call upon the name of the Eternal to serve Him with one consent. So it's going to have to be a pure language brought. And today, our educational system is far from that point. In Matthew 7, I want you to look at that. Matthew 7, verse 21. Here, Christ was speaking at the the Mount of... uh, Well, this is an an elderly site for you forgetters. I I think one of the biggest things... Two things I miss in my life is my brain and my strength. So, 
But anyway, in Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So, we can all come up and say, hey, I believe God. I believe in Christ. I believe in Emmanuel. I believe in Jesus the Christ. But that doesn't guarantee that you're going to get into the kingdom of God. Christ said that. Not everybody that says that. Why? Because there's criteria involved. goes on to say, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. So here's the criteria. You have to do God's will. And how do you do that? How can you know what God's will is? 2 Timothy 2.15 says to study to show yourself approved. So the requirement is to put your mind to work to dig out the information that's there for you. It's also been stated. And I remember Mr. Armstrong for years. In fact, what brought me into searching these things, he said, people have Bibles all over the house. The problem is, they never open them. He said, blow the dust off your Bible. Open it. Everything that you need to know to get into the kingdom of God is inside the Bible. And it's easy to understand. Now, we can make it difficult, but it's basically easy to understand. So, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God. We study to show that we are wanting to be proved by God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Sometimes people ask us questions. And we don't know the answers. Maybe because we've never strove to find out what that question is. The answer to that question. I watched a little bit of uh, the Bible challenge. And they asked questions of people that were biblical, supposedly, uh, biblical literate people. And they had a tough time answering the questions. Can you answer the questions when they're brought to you? Do you know what it is God wants? Are you a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed because you lack the education that's required? Rightly dividing the word of truth. At times people give an answer, but do they divide the truth rightly? I remember a minister years ago said, the problem is that we don't put Scriptures together like they ought to be. I know the script, the Bible says that God has written the Scriptures so that He puts here a little and there a little so that when you rightly divide it, then you have an understanding of what God's doing. And in this group, I think God has shown to us many things that I remember back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I, I never thought about that. But then God begins to reveal to us. So it is through education and rightly dividing the Word of God and studying, putting your heart to it. You know, I sit there and I hear, and so do you. And sometimes we walk away and I can remember going up to a minister and saying to him, boy, that was a great sermon. He said, oh yeah, well, what did you get out of it? And, uh, uh, well, um, um, uh, what did I get out of it? Where was my mind at that time? Can I go back next week? Can I go back today and tell you what was in the sermon last week? Do I know the basic points? I've had someone ask me, well, give me a synopsis of the sermon last week. And I had to say, well, it's pretty good size. Maybe you need to tune in and listen to it. But could you, if someone came up to you and say, well, what did you get out of the sermon last week? Was it important enough to remember those things? I know it depends on the person who's speaking. There are speakers that... Uh, one fellow, I loved him 
but he was monotone. And, and it's easy to fall asleep. But then there's, like, remember back, I think it was the Feast of Tabernacles, wasn't it, Daryl, where you get up there and you read Isaiah, and it says, wake up, wake up, and he hit the podium, and everybody, you would just about jump out of your chair. So you can remember those things. And there are sermonettes that you can go back and remember. One that Gordon gave, I remember that a lot. It's actually a couple of them. He did several sermons on uh, Psalms 136 about God's mercy never fails. It endures forever. But can you go back and recall sermons? Do you remember those things? Well, the commission to us is to study, to show ourselves approved. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes energy. Children go to school today. Do they study? Well, we set up our educational system. If they can pass an eighth grade test, then they can graduate. Well, can you pass the test given there? Let me turn there to Hebrews. Here's a test for us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Here's a test. Therefore, leaving the principalities and the doctrines of Christ, let's go on to perfection. So he said, leave me, you know, leave us go perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Could you answer that question? Somebody come up to you, what do you mean repenting from dead works? Could you explain that to someone who's wanting to know? And faith toward God. Of the doctrine of baptism and of laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. There's basic questions. Not eighth grade questions. Those are graduate questions. Something that we should have so fixed in our mind that it should be a problem. And yet, Paul found out that he came to bring meat just like we get here. And yet, they were sitting there saying, yeah, well, but that's too strong. That's too much. I want to go back and get the basics again. We shouldn't need the basics. We should have no need to go back and recall those things. So are you following 2 Timothy 2.15? Have you studied to show yourself approved? If you are, you should be able to answer those questions. And yet we find people coming out of our high schools today, if they don't have a computer or a calculator, cannot add and subtract. I've had that happen to me. I've gone into a store. The power went out. The lights came back on. Computers down. Trying to buy something. You give them a $20 bill. They could not make change. They didn't know how to make change. If the computer ain't telling me, how do I know what to give them? Can you make change of God's way of life? Can you go back and recant what we were learning Thirteen years ago at the Feast of Tabernacles? Were you there? So it's interesting to know that God expects something out of us. He says not everybody, fix that in your mind, will get into the kingdom of God. We know the first resurrection is going to be offered to 144,000. There's 144,000 crowns. Are you ready for that? Are you working toward that? Have you studied for that? Well, we need to begin to focus on the things that God wants most out of us. Go to Hebrews chapter 4, since you're right there in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear. You know, we had a whole series on fear be good to go back and listen to them. The right type of fear. 
fear, meaning respect and honor, and looking to God for guidance and direction. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left to us of entering into His rest, any of you should seem to come up short. Is it required to study? Do you need to know what God's talking about? Can you answer the questions that are brought? Do you know what's going to happen in the future? Or will we come up short because we just haven't put our heart to the, to the test? You know, in Matthew 25, the first part talks about the ten virgins. What did we find there? Five came up extremely short, didn't they? They didn't have any answers. Five had some answers. So they'd been studying and they had retained some information. But five came up very short because he invited five in and the other five had to go out and buy. That means they had to go out and begin to study again. And it was a hard trial. In Acts, keep your finger there, because we're going to come back to uh, Hebrews 4. In Acts 17, we see where Paul and Silas were teaching God's way of life, and they went into Thessalonia. In verse 2, Paul, as his manner was, went into to them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. What did he reason with them? What scriptures? Well, as the Jewish Bible was written, the law, the prophets, and the writings. The old, what we call the Old Testament. So he reasoned with them about who was Christ. How it shows from Genesis all the way through Malachi that Christ would come. That He would be. This is what would happen to Him. He related Psalms 22, Isaiah 53, and much of the Scriptures that all point toward Christ. So he reasoned with them three Sabbaths in a row. He went into their, their, uh, their congregations. And opening and alleging that Christ must need have suffered and raised again from the dead that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is the Christ. So he spoke to them. He told them, this is who Christ is. The Scriptures show it. And he did that through his mind. Because he had already studied the Scriptures. He already had done his homework. So he reasoned with these people from the Old Testament. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude and chief women of the, and not a few. But the Jews which believed not. So here's a group of people who didn't believe. Moved with envy because they didn't Knows. These were people that were supposed to know the Scriptures. They didn't believe Him. Probably were not willing to go back and find out. And they were moved with envy because here Paul was speaking and he was attracting people and he had a great group of people listening. And they weren't listening to them. So yeah, they were envious. They wanted the person. They wanted people to look at them. They wanted to be, hey, I'm the one that knows the stuff. I'm the teacher here. And took unto them certain lewd fellows of the base sort, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar. So what did they do? Well, we don't know the scriptures. Paul does, but we're losing the people. We're not going to be in their sight, the teachers. So they stirred up the crowd. That's something that God hates because it is causing dissension. And He hates it because 
It's the very same thing Satan did. It's what Satan did in the first place. He stirred a third of the angels to go against God. So here these people stirred everybody up to get rid of Paul. Verse 10, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. Berea was a town where not far away. What is the difference with these people? In Thessalonica, the people listened. They were making changes. But apparently they were not making the changes as those in Berea. Verse 11, And those were more noble than in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness. They were wanting to hear it. It's like a sponge absorbing water. They wanted this information. So they received it with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether these things were true. They had to know, is this the truth? How do I know it's the truth? We've heard that from here. We've heard Darrell many times say, you don't let God's Word fall to the ground. The only way you can't let it fall to the ground is you've got to get out there and find out. Is this the truth? Am I searching these things out? Or am I just hearing somebody speak? It's great to hear a sermon. But in my life, I've found in the church that the Scriptures are given as a starting point, maybe. They give you what he has studied. So, I studied this, Daryl studies, Terry studies, Gordon studies, and we bring out some information. Do we just hear it and say, yeah, that's great. That's a good sermon. Does it mean anything to you? Do you go home and say, let me search the Scriptures and see if that's the truth? Am I supposed to do those things? Is that truth? Did He tell me what I'm supposed to do and know? And if He didn't, hey, I see there's a little bit of change here. And go to them and say, I don't understand this. And maybe we can then be iron sharpening iron. Not condemning, but helping each other. So a sermon should help us to go forward to take the information, put it into practice. I've been in a church a long time, and yet when I hear the Scriptures read and expounded, I'm sitting there thinking, why didn't I know this ten years ago, five years ago, twenty-five years ago? Because it wasn't right, ready for me to learn it. But now I know that when I hear this, I need to go back and say, let me see that. Let me listen to it again. Let me find out, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? With the Bereans, they heard and they got out there and they proved the Scriptures were right. They proved that Paul, when he said, from Genesis through Malachi, talks of the coming of the Just One, coming of the sacrifice that will give everybody the opportunity to be a part of the family of God. Related to them, Isaiah. Related to them, Psalm 22, where it says he was beaten. He could look down and see his bones. Then they could think back, that happened. Because we lived through that period of time when Paul spoke. Now, I know we didn't live through that period of time, but we have it here. And we believe it because it was written for us to believe. So, in 1 Thessalonians, we're told to prove all things. It is a command to prove all things that you hear. If you don't prove them, then you're falling short. We're becoming like the no child left behind. Well, that's not going to happen with God. There will be people left behind. Christ said there will be two in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two in a bed. One will be taken and one left. So there are going to be people left behind. Those, as in Matthew 25, who didn't study. 
didn't put their heart to it. Ephesians 5 tells us proving what's acceptable to God. What's acceptable to Christ. Not just proving whether we can get off this planet or not, but what's acceptable to God. What God wants from you. Isaiah 20, I mean, I'm sorry, Isaiah 8, verse 20. He tells us to the law and the testimony. If the person that's speaking, if they speak not according to this word. So, the person speaking, teaching, is he speaking according to the word of God? Well, when we go through verse by verse by verse, are we speaking the word of God? We're reading the scriptures. We're saying what the scriptures tell us to say. So it's the command to the person teaching and the command to you to prove what's being taught. Are they speaking according to the word? It is because if they're not, he says, if it's not according to God's word, there's no light in them. But if they're speaking by God's Word, then it is light in them. In 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the Word. So the command to the preachers are, Preach God's Word. God's way of life. Be instant in season. So as the time comes, what's needed to be said has to come out. So be instant in season and out of season. And notice, he says, reprove, rebuke. Oh, you mean correct us? Reprove us? Uh, teach us? Show us? Correct us? Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So sometimes maybe we don't have the long suffering in it. We, we correct, but we don't use. The long-suffering and the gentleness that sometimes was required and needed. It's your responsibility, then, to prove what's being said is God's Word or not. It's your responsibility. God gives you the opportunity. He called you. But it's your personal responsibility to look into the Scriptures to find out what it is God wants us to know. Let's go back now to Hebrews 4. So are we taking our responsibility or we take it lightly? Sometimes we can take it pretty lightly. We can go day to day and, you know, and say, well, I'll make it up another day. No, it's your responsibility What's being taught that you can prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt? That that's God's Word. Verse 2 in Hebrews 4. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. And, you know, refer back to the Jews in Thessalonica and any place else. Paul taught them God's way of life. He preached unto them both Jew and Gentile. We preach to all. It's on the internet. Anyone that wants to hear it, it's there. It's their responsibility to prove whether it's God's Word or not. But the Word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Well, when we look at Israel, what happened to them? They didn't believe. God put Israel through three plagues and then he took them out of the plagues he gave them protection he kept them from losing their livestock and their children and their lives and carried them all the way up to the Red Sea it couldn't go to the right hand or the left it couldn't go forward because there's too big vast of water it had to be a pretty long stretch across there so that they could all be in the water at one time. Like when we have baptism, you are completely buried in water. 
not a finger or a toe comes out. All of you have to be under it. They couldn't go backward because there was an Egyptian army. But these people didn't believe. They didn't trust God. For we which have believed do enter into rest. So we're looking forward to that rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. You can go back to Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, and we find out that God says, He rested when He had completed everything. Well, He's offered to us that rest, that we should rest also from this body and this physical life that we've got to go through. For He spoke in a certain place of the seventh day, on this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all His works. Going back and recanting what it says there in Genesis. And in this place again, if they shall enter into My rest, seeing therefore it remains that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in, in because of what? unbelief. Some, back at the prime of worldwide, was over 100,000 people. Some of them didn't and aren't going to enter in that rest right away. Because they didn't believe. Well, sometimes, you know, the problem with belief is that we set criteria ourselves. We set dates and times. and That's why it says, go back and prove it. You have to prove it. Daryl don't have to prove it to you. He just has to bring it out. It just has to be brought, made aware of it. You have to prove it. So, Israel didn't believe God. Do I believe God? Do you believe God? Again, he limited a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear my voice, harden not your heart. Am I listening? Do I hear God? You know, I hear God when I read the Bible. I hear God when I get on my knees and say, Father, this, help and lead me by leading the sermon. Inspire the information brought to me. Then I've got to go back after I hear it and say, is that true? Is that God's Word? It's my responsibility. I can't get into the kingdom on my wife's shirt tail or Daryl's or yours. I have to have it on mine. I have to do my part. Verse 8, For if Jesus had given them rest, then would He not have afterward have spoken of another day? Another time. A rest, you know, that's coming. Throughout the millennium, that time of rest, where there be one government, one pure Religion, one pure language, one way of life. There remains therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works. So our works have to be to get out there and find out. Children go to school. Sometimes they blame the teacher. I've heard that in times past. That teacher just is the worst teacher possible. They require too much of me. No. You require too little of yourself. You require too little of yourself. I've always told my children, if you want to do something, it's available. It's whether you put the effort and energy into it. 
to be a part of God's rest, it depends on whether you put effort and energy. You, you must put out the effort. We can't blame the teacher. For in that he entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his works. Let us therefore, he says, Paul speaking through Hebrews, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. In other words, it's going to take some effort. It takes effort and energy. You've got to put out something. You've got to do something more with your life. And whether you're a child or a young adult or an old person, it takes effort and energy. You just will not make it on somebody's shirt tape coattails. Lest any man fall after the example of unbelief. If, <laughs> you know, and it's strange, in my life I've seen people walk away because they didn't believe the Scriptures. And they walked away because they just didn't believe. Because we set a criteria. 72, Christ's going to return. He didn't return in 72. Well, then 75 or 82 or 90 or 95 or 2005 or 6 or 7. Did we set our hopes too quick? Did we set a time and say, when we start this little organization, it will be just a few years. Yes, it was exciting. And yes, the pastor looks for the return of Christ. And he's excited and he's working toward that. But sometimes we don't look far enough in the future. Because it's got to be on God's time plan, not on mine or yours or Daryl's or anybody else's. It's going to be God's plan. He knows. Christ himself says, I don't know. The angels don't know. Only the Father knows the time. But it will come. It will come. We're told in Proverbs, without vision, the people perish. So, I mean, we've got to have this vision of something greater, a place of rest from our physical labors and being a part of the family of God. Is our vision looking forward to a one world government underneath God the Father and Christ? Under one language? I don't care who it is and where they are, you will understand them perfectly. And whether they're Hispanic and you're not, and they're they're talking and you don't understand a word, that's going to change. There's going to be one word. So do you have the vision? Without vision, without keeping the vision in your mind, you're not going to study. You'll lose perspective of where you are and where you're going. Sometimes what we find that we are complying with what's told to us but we are we so committed that that's be our way of life? In 1 Corinthians 13, the first four verses, I think it is, it talks about being complying. Here's people that complied, but they were not committed. And the Bible tells us we have to be believing and committed. Chapter 3 of Hebrews, verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief. You mean if I don't believe God? If I don't believe what's being said? I've got an evil heart? Maybe I need to look into my heart. Maybe I don't trust God enough. God says, if you don't believe me and follow me, you have an evil heart. That's God's thoughts, God's aim in departing from the living God because you will walk away. If you don't believe Him, you will walk away. I've lived through that in my life of over 50 years in the church. I've seen a lot of people have unbelief and walk away. 
And I look out there and think, yeah, it's tough. As I get older, it's hard to pick things up. It's hard to open bottles up. It's hard to keep going on a daily basis. It's hard to stay awake. It's hard to remember. But I understand. God says, I need to stay here. I must stay here. I must keep that vision of the family of God, of being able to go out and help others in the millennium to see how great it is. Yes, we suffer. Paul had to relate many times. I've gone through this and this and this and this, and yet I stay with it. He was beaten, shipwrecked, bit by snakes, and hated by a lot of people. But he kept in mind a rest is coming to those that love God and keep the commitment. Verse 13, But exhort one another daily. How can we exhort each other? How can we help each other if we don't spend the time with each other? If we're not willing to share our lives with each other? We make mistakes. I do things that probably upset Daryl greatly. I'm sure my wife gets upset. And probably a lot of you. And sometimes you don't change because somebody doesn't come to you and say, Hey, I love you enough, but this bothers me about you. Well, let me change. Let me make a change. But we can't. We're commissioned to exhort each other, to help each other go through this life that we're struggling with. Help each other. Whether we have sickness or we're financially hurting or whatever the case might be. We need to exhort each other, encouraging each other to do right. In James, we're told that if you see a person making a mistake and you go to them and you help them make that change, you've saved a soul, he says. You've helped somebody go toward that rest that God's promised But exhort one another daily while it's called today. Because tomorrow you might not be here. So while it's today, help each other. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sometimes we fall short of a mark. We know the scriptures say sin brings death. That's the outcome. Sin brings death. And sin is very deceitful. It can be just look like a, like a great big ice cream cone, maybe. If you like ice cream cone with chocolate syrup or whatever on it, or a big sundae or whatever. It might look fantastic, but it ain't good for your body. You know? The sugars aren't good for you, but it looks good. And all these... Uh, chips and stuff that you know we I, I used to do that I worked doing water softeners didn't have time to stop and eat so you, you you eat and drink the junk food which isn't good for your body so sin is deceitful because you don't see it because it kind of sneaks up on you real quick and takes you we need to spend the time helping each other. If we're having difficulties, we need to help each other. We need to share our lives one with another. For we are made partakers, in verse 14, of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. I mean, it's, it doesn't mean till tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. It's to the end. So, without education, without the knowledge of God, you're not going to stay there to the end. Because you don't know what it says here. And you lose the vision. And without vision, you won't be there to the end. While it is said today, if we will hear His voice, harden not our hearts. Are we hearing God on a daily basis? Do we have Bible study? Do we have prayer time? Do we have fellowship with God's people? 
You know, and there later on in Matthew 25, he said, the way you treat each other, the way you're treating me. So God says, how can you treat me better than the people you see on a daily basis? You can't. You, you have a facade. It's, you think you're doing it God's way. But if you are not spending time and helping each other, you're not going anywhere. place. You're not doing it God's way. We have a book here that tells us how to live. Every day. And it's not hard. And, and then to help us out, God will send somebody, put them up here, who's done some studying, and God's put it in her mind to bring this out. And then do we take it and say, oh, well, that's just, you know, uh, that's just words. And I'm sorry to say, but I heard it said, when Daryl covered the proverb, I mean the Psalms, that's just the Psalms. Did you listen? God inspired Daryl to do that. So are we saying to God, oh God, you know, Father, why, why do you have him cover the Psalms? I mean, there's so many other things. Because God wanted us to know things and it was brought out. Are you studying it? Did you believe it? Do you follow it? What God looks at, you know, we had an announcement of a baby. You know, that baby, when it's born, has no understanding other than it's hungry and crying and has to, you know. Here it was cradled for all these months and the mother moved all day long, you know, and it's rocked and cradled. It's warm, it's comfortable, it's got all the food it needs. And all of a sudden, it's bright, lights everywhere, it's hungry, people are punching it and pulling on it and googling over it and all these different things and this baby just starts to cry because it's not used to that. It doesn't know what's happening. But a child grasps quickly. If it's born as an American, it learns to speak what we speak. If it's born Indonesian, it speaks their language. If born Chinese, and whatever dialect in Chinese there are, whatever group is born in, it understands that. But that baby could learn any of these languages. And they are finding out that by taking very young children and training them and teaching them at before a year old and a year old, they can learn multiple languages. So a baby can learn a lot of things. So here in Matthew chapter 18 we read, At the same time came some of the disciples unto Emmanuel and said, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Oh, hey, I'd like to know that. Do you want to know who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Well, I can tell you, God the Father and Christ are going to be the greatest. After that, it's up to God. But I can tell you, God and the Father, God the Father will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Other than that, you know, so Christ says, So Emmanuel called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. It's interesting that he brought a child in, a small child, and set him in the midst of them. And he said, Truly I say to you, except, except you be converted and become as a little child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you've got to be willing to be taught and willing to study and willing to learn and willing to follow. Like a baby would. And our children, you know, I've eight children, so I know. I watched them grow. They learn quickly. Not always... As they should, I have one son that it was hard to train him to keep him out of the sugar bowl, but you know. But it took time, and you do it because you hate them? No, because you love them. You train your children because you love them. God trains us because He loves us. Psalm 40, verse 8. David 
speaking of being educated, he's, David said, I delight to do your will, O my God. He delighted in education. He had the attitude of a child. Yes, and your law is within my heart. Is God's way of life in my heart? Do I delight in doing things God's way? I hope so. I want to. Do I follow God all the way? In Psalms, and you can go back and read all of it, Psalms 1, 1 on, verse 2 says, But his delight, whose delight? My delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law do I meditate day and night. I am told by David to think on God's law, whether I'm asleep or awake, whether I'm eating or playing, meditating, doing it God's way. And he shall be like a tree planted by a river. You know that trees seek after water? You can plant a tree, like I've got two in my backyard, and somebody said, you know, it's tough having a willow tree that close to your septic tank (laughs) because they're going to send the roots over there to that septic tank or to that drain field. Trees look for water. Our commission is to seek the water of life. No matter how hard it is or how long it takes, seeking it, putting the effort and energy out it, it is God's water, the Spirit of God, that feeds us. It's God's way of life. So are we learning? Are we studying to show ourselves approved of God? Or do we accept what we hear? Just to accept it and do it. You know, I keep the Sabbath because I'm commanded to. I keep the holy days because I'm commanded to. I'm going to keep, I'm going to come to a new moon Bible study because I'm commanded to. That's not going to cut it. Because your heart is not in it. So you can keep God's word because you're commanded to or and comply with what's being said. Or you can be so committed to it, it is your way of life. And so we are told to study to show ourselves approved. Approved of what? What God requires what God calls right. We're required and certainly the scriptures there in Acts 17 about the Bereans are a good example for us. There is a group of people that believed what Paul said, but they did more than just believe. They spent the time and the effort and the energy and dug it out of the Scriptures. And let me tell you, there's a lot of Scriptures between Genesis and Matthew. And there's a lot of Scriptures after Matthew. So do you believe what you're hearing? Do you comply? I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep the Sabbath. I'm going to play tithes. Or are you so committed that it is the way of life that I live? This is God's way. So, for each one of us, I don't care who we are, how old we are, it's our responsibility to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt what God wants you to do. If you can't, then you know you might have unbelief and you don't want to fall in those shoes. Mm 